Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When through the woods and forest lay thy wonder, and hear the birds sing sweetly in the when I look down from lofty mountains grand and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. Let's sing the song. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou God and we thank him for the opportunity of being assembled today in reference to his name, his glory, and his honor. Yes. And certainly we appreciate the presence of each of you who are here. And we are always thankful for our membership when it shows up as it regularly does. And uh, those of you who are guests and friends today, we are more than happy to have you. And we welcome you into the assembly of this congregation. And I want to take my time to thank, thank the congregation and all of those who worship here for the great job of sacrificing and participation and uh, uh, leadership that you are providing for our community and all that you are doing to uh, make this program work. Every one of you are needed to the highest degree in the life of the church. And uh, we are in the primary business of kingdom building and we certainly uh, solicit every last one of you to help us accomplish that objective. God has given us our marching orders, and we certainly hope that we will be blessed to accomplish those ends. 
we are certainly thankful for all of the financial support that is given and uh, our men working in the church and our women working in the church and the great job that Brother Gwen has done and uh, Brother Warrior and Brother Reed in molding us into a responsible group of worshipers. I was talking to Brother Reed this weekend. He says, until I got involved and came to church, I just thought all that happened without any necessary effort. But uh, a lot goes on behind the scenes uh, to deliver this service to you, and not simply the sermon, but the uh, coordination of those who uh, participate and provide the services. We want to encourage our sisters of the church to plan to be active participants in the uh, 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 women's uh, mini-conference that will be uh, held here June 25 and 26. That's a Friday and a Saturday. Encourage your participation in all that uh, they are trying to do through that effort, empowering women for God, uh, of God. So certainly we hope that uh, you will support that. Uh, the whole church supports them in that. Though the brothers will not be in attendance, we give all of our effort and support to that that we can possibly give to make it a living and a viable reality. And we want to encourage your support and solicit your support for our VBS, uh, Vacation Bible School, that will be coming off in June, starting June 6th. Uh, we are really turning up the burners for the adult class, and uh, those adult books are ready, and actually each of you who are, are adults, you're already obligated to be here, so we ask that you purchase your book and uh, make preparations. Uh, we'll cover, there's 13 lessons in that book, we'll cover at least 10 of them. Brother Bruce Johnson, Brother Bradshaw, and myself. And uh, we'll be delivering those lessons in proper time, including Sunday morning of that day. So please uh, be with us. The whole church rejoices uh, in that Dan Sims has been elevated to a principal of Tri-City High School. Amen. So we, uh, we just uh, thank We're always thankful for what God is doing, and, and we are really excited when he chooses some of our members uh, uh, to promote, and uh, certainly are worthy and responsible uh, in those positions. I'm hoping today to speak to the issues of deepening our faith and our relationship with God, and giving God the church that he has always sought for in humanity, and that we would be engaged in building a strong, solid, biblical uh, foundation for Christ to work to base his will on is that we understand that God's work is to be done and God has chosen to do that work through us and we are accountable to God for that availability to him in our lifetime. And no generation has escaped the expectations of God and we're certainly happy to be encountered and included in that. We're not looking at it from a traditional or from a historical, but from one of the focus on Jesus Christ as Lord, the center of our lives. And uh, the church has the business and the responsibility of teaching Christ and him crucified, uh, presenting his church, uh, leading and converting people to God, to Jesus Christ, and uh, having them to uh, submit to baptism and put him on and arise therefrom to walk with him in a brand new life. The ultimate goal of the church, the primary goal of the church 
is to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the extent to which our faith is deepened in that, the more profound and more solid uh, the church will be. If one, was, one were to ask you, uh, what are the fundamentals of your faith? Or what does your faith rest upon? And what are the ingredients of your faith? Uh, what would your answer be? Uh, well, I believe, but what does your faith stand on? What is it anchored in? And how are you saturating that faith and deepening it in God through Jesus Christ? Uh, the church requires a true foundation. One scripture has said, other foundations can no man lay other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the strength of Jesus Christ in our lives is fundamental to how strong we will be and how per pertinent our faith will be in our relationship with God will be. Our faith speaks to our dependability and reliable relationship with God. How well do you know God? How critical is God to your life? And I say that to those who have never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, never obeyed him, never walked as uh, they should or who have mistakenly erred as they did in the 17th chapter of the book of uh, Acts. But under all circumstances, how deep is your faith in Jesus Christ? That is critical to all that we're about. Your church member, your activities in the community, all of this is important, but it starts all with Jesus Christ and how anchored you are in that. The Hebrew writer defined faith as the substance, as the substance of what is hoped for and the evidence of things not seen as yet. It is fundamental to what we are and how well we are anchored in Jesus Christ. Philip's translation uh, translates that reference is and reference this way. Now faith means, King James, faith is the substance of the thing hoped for. Philip's translation translates it, the same reference and same text. Faith means putting our full confidence in the things we hope for. It means being certain of things we cannot see. Now, is that a realistic position for you? Or is it just something that hangs out there? Do you really believe it? Do you feel that you have your hands on your relationship with God? It means that we become certain about things we cannot see. And when our faith wavers, we are not certain about the things that we cannot see. It is a tremendously challenging position to believe teetotally in what you do not see and have a certainty that is there. And that's the level to which God is trying to pull us. And I today want to try to point out some passages, uh, as I said, I will continuously try to do, find passages in Scripture that relate to that. Now, faith, it means putting our full confidence. Have you put your full confidence in God? Have you hearing the gospel today? Do you believe fully in that gospel? So much so that you walk out Acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord with the full confidence of all that God has said and is doing will all come to pass. What was this faith 
are this kind of faith that won the reputation of the saints of old. And it is often all of our thinking and of our minds to accept the fact that the whole scheme of God's plan turns on our faith. And are you at that point today? Do you really believe faith is the substance of things hoped for? It's the evidence of things not seen. Does our lack of faith affect our relationship in the church? Does it keep us from being the quality and the kind of people that we ought to be? Is the fact that we do not get to church on time or that we do not come to church or that we do not involve ourselves in ways that we ought to, does that have to do with our faith? Do we think that God is really back there or this is something we have traditionally followed and been told? Do we know God for ourselves? Do we know him and the power of his resurrection? Faith is beyond materialistic proof. It's believing when there is no material and physical proof for these things. It's the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things not, that, that, that are not seen. The writer moves on to verse 5 to state that God translated Enoch. God translated Enoch without his experiencing death because of his faith. Now, what can God do with you and what can God do with me because of my faith? Can he make me a more faithful member of the Lord's church? Can he make me a better husband? Can he make me a better person in the, in, in the community, a better citizen? The writer moves on to say that God translated Enoch. Enoch believed in God so much that the Bible says he was translated and were not privileged, uh, were not, uh, did not see death. Uh, and Paul says, or the writer of the Hebrew letter says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of all those who diligently seek him. Now that does not mean without faith, one cannot be baptized scripturally. That's not what that says. It's a faith in God beyond all else. Have we built that kind of relationship? Do we, do we relate to God that way? Faith is the substance, the depth of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In Christ, faith is central and essentially important. Referring to Abraham's strong faith, Paul said, Abraham, being not weak in faith, not weak in faith, which means that our relationship or our depth in our faith is kind of a guide to what we do and allows us to do what we cannot prove, what we cannot fully foresee. So Abraham, being not weak in faith, Considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a uh, hundred years of age, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now that's a passage that's in depth. Here Abraham, around a hundred years old, God promising that he's going to give him a son. 
and that that son is going to come about through the impregnation of his wife that is also near 100. And, uh, and the scripture says that Abraham's faith staggered not. It means that we have to have a forthright faith and confidence in what God says. That's what we're working for. That's what we're building for. And I'm going to testify it is not the easiest thing to achieve. Uh, how realistic does that seem to you? That a woman nearly over 90 years old is going to conceive. And God's whole promise is hooked up in the fulfillment of that promise. And Abraham dares to believe that, to accept that. Do we dare to accept God's promises? Do we dare to believe that God will make us a great nation, a great congregation, a great leader, a great father, a great mother? Do we have faith that that can happen and move in that direction? So it's not a matter of what I'm trying to stress. It's not a matter of sitting back and saying, yeah, I believe that. The preacher preached about faith today. We read about it in the Bible. He has faith. That's great. But would we walk where Abraham walked? Would we travel that path? Uh, in that instance, as you well know, uh, Sarah was not so convinced of what the angel was telling her. I was telling Abraham. She overheard him in the tent. And Sarah, the Bible says, Sarah laughed at that concept. Are not there moments in our lives when we need to be dependent upon faith that it kind of all seems like an unrealistic thing that's going to happen or it's a joke? That we don't really have that confidence in that, that it is as true as what we see, and that God is going to bring it to pass. I like the story of Abraham and Sarah at this point because... As I've said before, even while Sarah was not impressed that that was a reality, she yet believed that somehow God was going to bring it to pass, but not through her. The wholeness of her faith had to do with the totality of her acceptance of God's plan. She could not holistically accept it. That's the reason why Sarah moved to uh, have Abraham to have a relationship with Hagar. And, and Ishmael was born because she said, well, maybe this is how God expects this to be. Not buying fully in on all of God's promises and what God is predicting. God had predicted that Sarah shall conceive and shall bear a son. Uh, and uh, Sarah did not fully buy that story. But yet she thought that God would fulfill the promise some kind of way, and considering the deadness of her wound, her incapacity, her limitations, as we often do consider our limitations, and that's one thing that kind of cuts us off from God, when we look at God's promises in the light of ourselves, in the light of our own ability, it's hard to believe God when you're trusting yourself. And that's exactly what Sarah was doing at this particular point. It all seems like a dream if we have to be the one to fulfill it or to make it come to pass. So Abraham, not being weak, real point for us, not weak in faith, 
considered not his own body that is now about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He had to move beyond the death of his womb, death of Sarah's womb, and the deadness of his own body. God promises to take this frame of mind, this system of mind, and do things which I do not understand, which I do not see. To be in a situation as we are here in Atlanta uh, and the area that we're in, we have to believe beyond ourselves. And we have to totally commit ourselves to everything God wants done. The zone program is, a, is, a, is an effort to get us to get more involved ourselves and thrust ourselves upon the altars of God and allow God to achieve his objectives through us in the place on the lack of our own faith to help to accomplish those things. It's no wonder that Abraham, uh, Paul uh, is said that he staggered not at the promises of God. Uh, I come from a country where the, uh, there's a lot of drunks in my community. And so when you say staggered, uh, I, I quickly find home. Uh, and Abraham did not, not wait. He didn't stagger. Uh, his mind was not boggled by the promises of God. He, it was not unrealistic to him. God said it, and I will not simply say God said it and I believe it. I believe it, though I do not fully comprehend. And this is the call that God is making to us in the world where we are, not members of the Lord's church, not having obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, not having departed from our sins. He's not simply asking us to stop drinking, stop being immoral, the greater thrust is on the faith in God. Uh, you're not a Christian because you don't drink no more. You're not necessarily a Christian because you don't live immorally anymore. That's great stuff. All that, yes, we need all of that. But it, do you have a faith in God for God to change this system through you? To bring to pass what ought to come to pass in this congregation through you. Do you have the faith to allow God to bring you to Bible class, Bible study, meditation, prayer, etc., to make these things come to pass? So Abraham staggered not at God's promises. Bible said, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded, the scripture goes on to say, that what he had promised, he would, uh, he would be able to, that God would be able to perform that. And therefore, passage of the concept that I like, it was imputed to him as righteousness. And that's a concept that we really have problems getting. God accredited us with that faith. Uh, and it was by faith that Abraham obeyed God, and found himself pleasing in God's sight. Not out with ourselves as we are. Man stands outside of the church having never obeyed the gospel. And uh, as one brother told me on one occasion, he said, I just could not see myself doing that. And the way you explain the word is almost beyond me, etc. 
but he was believing in himself. He was taking confidence in himself. What you have to have confidence to do is to trust God. Is give yourself fully over to him and allow God the privilege of working his will in your life. So Abraham did not stagger at what God could do. Abraham did not stagger at what God could do with him. How that God could, could complete his purpose and the doing of his will. That's in Romans, the fourth chapter, verses 19 through 22, if you care to have that reference. But for us also, to whom he says it, it, was, it was not written for his sake alone, Pastor, that I, I really love, that uh, Paul is saying in Romans uh, 4 19 through 22, that this was not written for Abraham's sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. That's the strong part of that passage. But for us also, and I, I insist all, always in my preaching and, and my uh, 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 proclamation that we have got to put ourselves in place of biblical characters, that what they experience, God continues that in us. If only in the apostles and only in the New Testament Christians, God worked, the church is a dead entity today. The same things that needed to be done when the apostles were in life continues to need to be done. Men needed to be forgiven of their sins or made aware of their sins, the gospel preached unto them, and that continues in this day, expecting by God to reap the same result. In Matthew 28 and 19, a very familiar passage. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. We have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel, to teach people what God wants out of their lives. Get them to obey the gospel. Give themselves to Jesus Christ. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Without faith, it is impossible to, to please God. Not without faith, it is impossible to be baptized, but however important baptism may be, but our faith in God is not focused on baptism, not focused on repentance, but God himself. And we relate to him. We believe in God. And because we believe in God, we repent of our sins. We confess Jesus Christ, the sweetest name on mortal tongue. And we are accordingly buried with him in the water of a grave of baptism and arise therefrom to walk with him in newness of life. It's all because of Jesus Christ that we walk through and our faith is guided by that. Now considering the foregoing, is there any wonder why the writer of the Hebrew letter says it is impossible to please God without faith? It's true for you and me today. Without faith, we cannot please God. It is impossible because we must uh, be the recorder and we must diligently seek after him. I like the concept of seeking after him because sometimes we think that faith and our growth in God just drops down. But even the plan of salvation which we proclaim so broadly is a progressive thing. We hear God's word, we listen to it in, 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 intently, and we are impressed to believe and take on faith. 
And because of that faith in God, then we deal with how we can get closer to him and how we can become fit subjects of his. Because of that, we repent of our sins. We begin turning our lives around because that's what God wants. But we're saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. We repent of our sins. We confess him, the sweetest name on mortal tongue, and then we are buried with him. Uh, by baptism into life, in, into Christ, and therefore we rise to walk in newness of life. The writer of uh, Romans says, what, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? No. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that we might also rise to walk with him in newness of life. That is a transition through which we go. And we go through that and we transition to a new air and to a new quality of person. We turn our lives around. For the sake of the kingdom, we confess Jesus Christ. We make him our Lord and we're fully a subject of his. The Acts, the 17th chapter, talked about you know, seeking after God. It says, Paul says in, 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 in Athens that they might seek after him and find him. Now, uh, that, that means that, that, that we're always on a search for God in the totality of our lives. We're always waiting to see what God is calling us to. And how that he may lead us. That's what the, 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 the Hebrew passage says. Man who approaches God must first have faith in two things. Again, that's a Phillips translation. Must have faith in two things. One, that God exists. You've got to believe that God exists. So a person have trouble envisioning the idea of God cannot become a Christian cannot obey God because he questions God's existence. Uh, first, he must understand that God exists and that it is worth a man's while to try to find him. That's the Phillips translation. That it's worth his, a man's while to try to find him. It's worth my time, it's worth all my efforts, it's worth all of my struggle to try to better understand God. And understand what my relationship with him ought to be. How that I can be the best minister for him. The best disciple. See, all of this goes back to our faith and our supporting and undergirding our faith. That's the reason we come to Bible class. That's the reason we have meditation period. That's the reason why we pray. Because all of this is faith-building stuff. And it's not something we hit on Sunday and don't bother it anymore for a week. Faith is continuous. It's always going on. We're always searching for him. In Acts the 17 chapters I referenced a while ago, the writer says that they might seek after him, that we might seek after him, lest happily they might find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Now here Paul is speaking to the Athenians Hardly any of which were Christians. I would doubt that any were Christians. 
But he's saying that God is not far from them. And he's to be found through their search, through their analysis, through their efforts, through their faith and commitment. That we're always delving into what God wants us to be. Always realizing that we are instruments of the divine. That God accomplishes objective. The man who stands outside of Christ, having not obeyed him, is fully responsible to Christ. Fully obligated. If not, why is he lost if he dies that way? If he's not accountable and answerable to God, it matters not who you are, why you stand. We're all answerable to God. And we are all subject, according to the 17th chapter of the book of, 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 of Acts, putting on a search, trying to find him day by day, building our faith and deepening our foundations. Upon what does your faith stand? And what is the foundation of it? You're familiar with the passage in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, how that... Jesus says the man must build his house upon a rock so that when the storms come and the winds blow and beat upon that house, it stands. Now ask yourselves the question. Let us ask ourselves the question. Are there circumstances that can come that our faith would be useless to us, that we would not be able to stand? Then if so, it's not built upon a rock. Regardless of how much I dislike that idea, uncomfortable with it, if my faith does not stand, it is not anchored as God says it ought to be anchored. It's on shifting sand. Regardless of what comes along, our faith ought to be able to stand because that's the process of our anchorage to God. But he who, do, he who does not build his house upon the sand, upon the soil, then when the winds blow and the storm come and beat upon that house, it fell, and great was the fall thereof. Again, the significance of Matthew 28, 19. We've got to be sure that when we are leading people to Christ, that we're also anchoring them in him, and that they thoroughly understand that this is not an overnight occasion, an overnight affair but that they are locked into Christ. That's the reason why the Bible says you teach them before they are baptized and you teach them after they are baptized, always confirming and strengthening them in the faith. Our faith must be firmly anchored in and upon the gospel, the good news of which a critical part there is, uh, thereof is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know that we have taught that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. And that's the reason why sometimes when we do not issue or maybe say the plan of salvation, people say we ain't preached the gospel. The gospel has not been preached. The gospel is older. Gospel, well, first place, the gospel is good news. That's what the term means. It's, it's good news. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is good news. And people employed the concept of the gospel prior to that event happening. And I know I need to lock that down with scripture. 
In Galatians, the third chapter and the eighth verse. The reference says, Paul says, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Preach before the gospel unto Abraham. When you say it's the good news, it falls into place. And surely the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not the total gospel, uh, not all gospel, but certainly it's satisfying for our redemption and our salvation. But the gospel, I've been trying to emphasize for years, getting people to understand that, is all that that is anchored in the deliverance of Jesus Christ and the will of God, because all of that's good news. We of the New Testament specifically specialize in the death, burial, and resurrection, but that's not the only good news. The coming of Jesus Christ was good news. Born of Mary, born in a manger, good news. Paul having been converted on the road to Damascus, good news. So the whole thing, I never preached the gospel without having preached good news. And I may do it in various and different ways, but the gospel has been preached when Jesus Christ has been lifted up. And you cannot totally lift him up without talking about his birth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So let's preach the gospel. Let's anchor our faith in God. And be any of you here today who have not done that, I uh, hesitate not to encourage you to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. I I hasten, I hesitate not to say that without that you cannot be saved. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. At the church in Corinth, as I try to conclude, at the church in Corinth, that church uh, did not have the faith in God it ought to have and was a faction-torn church. It never did come to be what it could have been. Not because they had not been baptized, not because they had not repented previously, not because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but because their faith was not anchored in the control of their lives. You had this example, therefore, in Corinth. Paul said they were carnal and not spiritual because of the weakness of their faith. You cannot be caught up in carnality and strong in Christ. One of my brothers said yesterday at one of our zone meetings, it's a matter of sacrifice and choices that we have to make. There's a lot of things I would like to do, we would like to do that's not wrong, but it's carnal and it goes against the will of God. 
And I cannot afford to do that because of the imprint it will make on Christians and non-Christians about Jesus Christ. My faith must be strongly anchored. And I want us to realize that we have left the world. And we are not guided by worldly thinking anymore. And that's a transition that's very difficult to make because we live in this world. we got to move in this world. But if you follow carnality, you have a carnal church. You cannot make Christ's decisions based on carnality and the way we generally run things. You cannot, with a corporate, a corporate structure, operate the Lord's church. You can use some of those ideas, but the church is not a corporation, even if it becomes incorporated for business purposes. The central theme and function and vow of the church is faith in Jesus Christ and his so influencing our lives that we are uncomfortable not following him. Now, if you're a carnal church, you're not a spiritual church. Carnality versus spirituality. Read the Corinthian letter if you have any problems with that. And if you don't have a problem with it, read it anyway. It produces babes rather than adults. That's what Paul said. He said, you are, I've fed you with milk because you can't handle strong food. If you're growing in Christ the way you ought to grow, and your faith is deepening, you understand the spiritual better. As Paul says in Romans, the eighth chapter, the carnal mind cannot comprehend the things of God. I struggled with that passage for years. I finally made the discovery. There is no room in carnality to think Christ. Those two are diametrically opposed to each other. And as long as I am thinking carnally, and my thoughts are carnal, and my resources are carnal, then I'm going to be a carnal man. That happens to us in our leadership. It happens to us in our ministries. As I see some deterioration really speedily taking place in the Lord's church, it's uh, because we are carnal. We're looking for recognition, lifting up of ourselves, fame, and I'll get credit for things. That's carnal. And, and not many of us can afford to do a good deed and not announce it to the world that we did it. We don't allow the things to take place and fall in their own place, but we are, we, are, we are babes in Christ. The strength and the depth of messages and teaching that you can receive from teachers of the church and from the ministry of the church uh, is determined by your faith. And I want to say at this point, faith helps you to get over things that you never would get over without faith. And by that I mean your understanding. Uh, the carnal mind just can't do it. And you might be a genius, carnally speaking, but it's not going to do the things that God wants you until you learn to think that way. Now, I, 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 I'm sure that that's, that's a problem in, uh, uh, for some of our thinking. Uh, it also requires, the strength of, a, of the church and faith, requires the minister to 
feed the congregation with milk when it ought to be getting meat. Well, you take, for instance, myself. You put me down in the math class, I, as long as you talk about two plus two equals four, I can get that. When you start getting in calculus and all that kind of stuff, I said, well, huh, what you say? Too strong. I, I'm not prepared to take that. So we have to have the same recognition in the church. We have to build, but if, if give me time in a, in a class, you, you can culture me where I can comprehend that stuff. I guess I never will forget to tell a personal story. When I was in college, Paul Quinn College in Waco, Texas, uh, I, had a, I had to take a math course. I didn't want to take no math course. So you got to take this math course to, to graduate. And the uh, teacher walked in class that first day. He said, now some of you uh, are not embarrassed at all that you don't know math. He said, matter of fact, some of y'all brag about, I can't get math. And he's hit me dead between the eyes because I was one of them. He said, but if you do what I tell you to do, you'll understand the course and uh, you'll get math. I did, and I, every day if I read my own what he said, I got a straight A out of the course because I submitted to what he said do. Now, if I had ignored all the I'd still been just as dumb, just as uninformed, and not able to get the next level. Uh, Christians have to prepare themselves to be able to receive. And it's not all the question, always a question about how smart we are, how dumb we are, but what we are exposed to learning and equipping ourselves. And that attitude, let me say while I'm at this point, that attitude ignores all wisdom. It says, I can know what you know without studying nothing. That's what it says. And that germ spreads throughout the church. And then when the smart sister, a man comes in who understands the whole process, we fight him. We fight him. We oppose him. Uh, I'm just as good as he. It ain't a question of who's good as good. But what am I prepared to receive? And we need to prepare ourselves to be able to go forward. Also, it causes a church to be represented by factions rather than unity. Weak faith. Low substance in Christ. No knowledge of the scriptures. No appreciation for them. And how does that hit us? When you begin to make up your minds about what the church ought to do, I'm telling you from personal experience, does your thought relate to scripture? Or does it just relate to what you think? When it's the latter, carnality is in control. That's one of the reasons why we say about our ministries, they must be locked in on the mission of the church. So everything we do at Simpson Street in the name of Christ, ought to be anchored in Christ, traceable to him. Now, that may be tedious, but having been married 50 years, I have no problem always remembering my family when I act. It has become a part of my structure. It's who I am. I can't even think the other way now. That's what Paul is saying in the Roman 8th chapter, that we 
take on the nature of Christ. It also allows us to become men of men rather than of Christ. You remember in the Corinthian letter, in Corinthian uh, verse, uh, first chapter rather, Paul said, you some say, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, I am of James. Uh, and Paul said, uh, who are these but messengers of God? And uh, they had one party there in Corinth, he said, I am of Christ. They didn't know the difference. A lack of faith can really make us intelligently ignorant. I mean, we look like the intelligentsia but we just all messed up inside. Yes, sir. And then we get with more people who think that way. We become a powerhouse, and Christ is nowhere near. It can easily happen. And remember, brother, it happened at Corinth. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is a church in which the Apostle Paul labored strenuously and long. But somehow he missed it or they didn't get it. I say it that way because I don't want any of you people saying I'm condemning the apostles. But we don't get done all the right that we know in our preaching and what we want to say. Sometimes people miss the point. And sometimes they become members for other reasons. It has little to do with the kingdom of God. To get a wife or to get a husband. Or to get more recognized. You get what you come for. If you come for a reason other than Christ, that's what you get. But if, you, if your mind is set on Jesus Christ, and that's all, then you walk out of, the door, out of the door with a high potential. As a result, also at Corinth, there was invalid baptisms. as over against true baptism. Paul said, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you folk. Now, for us who just think that baptism is everything, you need to read that verse. And I think, I think it's very powerful. I argue and fight for the uh, essentiality of baptism every day. I don't care where I am. Put me in any group. I'm going to contend for that. Roman passages and all of them. But you can't just go out here and get somebody to duck you and that's it. You got to have an adequate understanding and comprehension of what you're doing, yes, why you're baptized, and what it's for. And when you understand right and you're baptized right, you're Christian. First Corinthians one seventeen. Paul says, "Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, Christ." Not with wisdom of words, which we get off into as preachers many times. We like flowery speech. We like to be able to uh, enter into oratory, etc., and sound great. Uh, that's not what it's all about. And Paul said that I, I always liked that passage from a child. He held himself out of doing that. He's able to do, be an or, uh, 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 orator and, 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 and to proclaim that way. But I did not come with fancy words and powerful speech. But I proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. 
That's what I proclaim today. That's what I invite you to hear. And if you have not done that, you need to recognize that's the only way to do it. No one has the privilege or the right to decide what he or she or they ought to do in order to become a member of the Lord's church. It's already said. It's already done. And we are so impressed with our smartness that we find it difficult for us to do that. But when the Pentecostals had been pricked and reached, such a powerful sermon that I always say I wish I could preach them that way, that the men couldn't wait. They asked, what must we do? You got me. I'm guilty. What must I do? And Paul says, repent. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Part I really like, this promise is to you, is to your children, is to all that are far off, even as many the Lord our God shall call. As long as God is calling people, that's the formula. Now, you can't change that. And you've got to have faith to believe in that unchangeable formula. And to believe that God will do pursuant to that what he said he would do. It may not make sense to you. Much of the church doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us in our reasoning. Because it's not built according to our reasoning. All we need to do is have faith in God and follow that. And I'm asking you today to express that faith in God by coming forward, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and putting him on in the water of a grave of baptism after you've heard his word, believed it, repented of your sins, and uh, uh, responded to the gospel. Then after that, you need to make yourself fully subject to the teachings and the leadership of the church. And we as leaders need to make ourselves fully exposed to improvement and competence in, in delivering God's word and leading people the way God wants them, to, wants them to go. If you're with us today who can make that decision in faith, believing with all your heart, obeying it, and trusting God, Brother Bradshaw has announced the hymn of invitation. The elders will come before us. We're going to ask that we stand together if you can bless the audience today by coming forward and acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord, we welcome you and hope you come. Bring Christ your broken life, so marred by sin. He will create anew, make hold again your empty, wasted years. He will restore. And your iniquities remember no more. Bring him your every care, if great or small. Whatever troubles you, oh, bring it all. Bring him the haunting fears the nameless dream.